Joining me now on the phone is Eric Kowalczyk. Eric is the president of Strategia Consulting. He's also a former captain and spokesman for the Baltimore Police Department. And Eric, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. Rick, thank you for having me. And I know we're going to talk about some serious things, but I would be remiss if I didn't say that you're not the only one who has basil that's growing like crazy right now. <laughs> well, it's the hope springs eternal, right? That kind of thing. Yes, sir. Uh, well, we'll have to compare when one of these days, okay? Um, Happy to do that. <laughs> well, there's no shortage of things to talk about. And I, I think maybe I'd like to almost start out with the most immediate news. And I've seen reports that... Um, Minnesota's uh, Minneapolis City Council, apparently a veto-proof majority of its aldermen, uh, have agreed to defund uh, the Minneapolis Police Department. Now, I'm not sure that anybody really knows in total what that means, but obviously you're seeing uh, protests all over of, of demanding defund the police. And it it, it, it ranges from you know, going after budgets that some feel are bloated to uh, basically this dismantling that they're talking about in Minneapolis. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly. This seems like a moving target right now. You know, it's it's hard to speculate about what that's actually going to look like. I mean, just from a logistical standpoint, I mean, how do you have a community without law enforcement? And what does that mean for the residents in the community and public safety, and, and there's a lot of questions in it. What I think it speaks to, though, and what we're seeing in Minneapolis and in cities across the country is this cry for a shift in the way that communities are policed. And so what you're seeing is this very quick uh, response to that need, whether it's thought out uh, entirely remains to be seen. But that that human cry, I mean, you have a hundred cities in the country that are saying, we want to see something different from our police departments. That has to be listened to. That has to be paid attention to. I, I know one of the issues in, in talking about the, the issue of, quote, defunding the police or, or, or reforming how the system works is kind of the problem. And, and certainly we're not unfamiliar with it in Chicago or Cook County is that as we've seen safety net services for people with mental health issues, those kinds of things, that it's fallen onto uh, the police department, the Cook County Sheriff's Department, which is known as the world's largest mental health treatment center. Uh, it's it's fallen on on officers who maybe are you know were never trained into that kind of a maybe social counselor type position. So. I had the phenomenal opportunity to work in 41 different states, literally with hundreds of police departments in the last five years. And every department that I went to expressed frustration with the fact that they were the tip of the spear for all of society's uh, issues, from alcoholism to uh, mental health issues to homelessness, and that the the resounding chorus of we don't have the equipment, the technology, the training, the preparation to deal with those issues. You hear that in every department that you go to. One of the things that I have been a strong proponent of is shifting the way that police respond to calls for service overall. And that shift is from a law enforcement base. If you go into most police departments today, 
when you ask a police officer what their job is, they're going to tell you that it's to enforce the law. And what the shift that I'm advocating for is to one where they say, we want to build healthy neighborhoods. And that means that you have a, a holistic approach. If your only tool to solve an issue, whether it's uh, someone with a mental health crisis or somebody who's facing uh, an alcoholism issue that's led to repeated 911 calls, if your only tool to handle that call for service is an arrest, you're going to arrest your way out of every problem. And that puts us into this position where we are today, where you have communities that feel over-policed, under siege, and are calling uh, from their hearts for a different approach. The concern in Minneapolis is, you know, what, what's your next step? So you defund the police. It's a, it's a response to uh, the anger that you're seeing. How do you maintain public safety? How do you deal with the people that are going to be in a mental health crisis? How do you deal with uh, the issues around your homeless population? And how do you do that holistically? There is a way to go down this path, but it has to be done with thought. It's very, very complicated. Yeah, I mean, it. it there has to be a plan. And, and I mean, is it... Can, can resources be... Uh, diverted from law enforcement to social services, social service responders? You know, I was talking with a retired chief yesterday about this very issue. And he said that if the social ills that are foisted on police departments were handled by agencies that were designed to handle them, whether it was the mental health crisis or the homelessness, that he could have seen a 30% reduction in his uh, police department and would have been able to effectively work with communities to build relationships, deal with the crime issues, and his organization could have focused on building that safe, healthy neighborhood concept. So one of the the component pieces to a reform in law enforcement has to be both a societal and a governmental realization that police can't be the answer for everything that ills society or we end up in the position that we're in today. Well, and and obviously spending in government is a reflection of priorities and uh, also the reluctance of governmental officials to necessarily want to raise taxes and and try to cut taxes or spend within a, a limited amount of money. Um, but as I said, with the with the way the state's social service safety net has, was basically frayed for two years without a state budget. I mean, there are a lot of, and, and now let's throw in coronavirus and, and yeah. you know, and, and I, I mean, I do think that the, the George Floyd uh, death was kind of a, a catalyst for a lot of underlying issues that were the result of, of these kind of being stay at home and quarantining orders that we've, we've seen. You know, the the intensity of the protests was something that I think caught everyone off guard. We certainly in Baltimore saw a, a very visceral response to the death of Freddie Gray, and we had our riot, and we saw the fires and the violence and the looting and everything that, that took place as a consequence of Freddie Gray's death. It, there were protests, in, you know, empathetic protests that did take place at the same time, but not to the scale that this is, and certainly there there has to be some correlation uh, again in the same conversation with the chief 
uh, he was saying that he thought that the protests would die down. And I said, you have uh, millions of people that are unemployed right now, and this is an opportunity to feel like they're doing something substantial to make a positive change. It would be uh, phenomenal if local governments across the country could seize on the initiative that's been started here and really start to make those fundamental changes. You know, in listening to the news, the uh, controversy about whether or not there's systemic racism in law enforcement, the frustrating part about that conversation is the, uh, the people who will come out and say that there isn't feel like it's an attack on the officers. And what we're missing is that statistically, we can, we can empirically demonstrate that there is systemic racism in law enforcement. There are really good cops in law enforcement, too, that are stuck in systems that empirically we know have systemic racism built into them. So you've got, to bring it back to your point, you've got millions of people right now that are engaged in the civic process open to having this conversation about what are our priorities as a society? What do we want from our law enforcement? What is having a healthy neighborhood look like? And how do we dismantle systems of systemic racism? We can do that. It's going to take leadership, the elected officials to step forward and start to have those conversations with communities about what budget priorities look like and what they actually want to see in terms of effective services. Eric, I want to follow up on that when we come back. We need to take a quick break. We're speaking with Eric Kowalczyk. He is uh, the uh, president of Strategia Consulting. He is also uh, the author of Politics of Crisis, an insider's prescription to prevent public policy disasters. He's a former captain and director of media relations for the Baltimore Police Department. I'm Rick Pearson. This is the Sunday Spin. Welcome back to your Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune here in the WGN Skyline studio. Joining me on the phone is Eric Kowalczyk. He is the president of Strategia Consulting, and he's also the former uh, former captain and director of media relations for the Baltimore Police Department. And we're talking about issues surrounding policing. And, Eric, uh, before the break, you you went right to the heart of the question about the issue of uh, systemic racism in uh, policing. And uh in police departments and and you you kind of went to a point that i was curious about because earlier today on on face the nation on cbs uh the attorney general william barr was asked that question about you know is there systemic racism in policing and he gave this answer about how well there there's racism in the country and that our institutions have uh, reflected that racism, but that he doesn't believe that it exists in law enforcement. And, I mean, to me, law enforcement is an institution, just like all the other institutions. There was the first uh, policing loves studies and trends and what's relevant and university studies. And so the first real study that looked at the culture of law enforcement was done in the 1960s. And coming out of that study, there was this realization that there is an us versus them mentality that was prevalent in law enforcement. And 50 years later, 
that us versus them mentality is still very much alive and well, and it's born out of the day-in, day-out experience of the average police officer and a lack of direction from leadership and organizations to see the community as a partner. Um, we're, we're taught very early on in the academy about the Peelian method, Sir Robert Peel, and his idea that we are of the community and they are of us. And that gets lost because of the systematic way in which police departments operate. There are racist police officers. There are incredibly good police officers. And they all work in the same system. But empirically, when we look at use of force statistics, when we look at deadly use of force statistics, when we look at sentencing and incarceration rates, car stops and who gets stopped and why and the reasons, there's just data point after data point that reflects the fact that systemically law enforcement uh, treats minorities in a disparate way than it does uh, Caucasian Americans. Those are just hard data points. The inference there is not that every police officer is racist. It's that they work in a system that needs to be dramatically overhauled to deal with the fact that what they're doing on the street every day disenfranchises people in neighborhoods across the country. And who does that overhaul? I mean, where has it begun? There are departments uh, in the country that are doing really phenomenal work in creating a culture inside of an organization built around the idea of a healthy neighborhood that police officers are a component to keeping neighborhoods healthy, but not the solution to keeping neighborhoods healthy. They're not the the tip of the spear for everything. There are departments that are doing that. It's a minority of departments. Change in law enforcement is a generational thing. And so the, the need to reform law enforcement is not something that you're going to see in two months or three months. We're talking about 10 to 20 years of work that has to be led by local communities that demand from their police departments the type of service that they want to see. We serve the communities, and we need to reflect the values of those communities that are served. But wasn't that the ultimate goal of community policing strategies? So the problem with a strategy is that every five years or so, and you can go back and I can take you from 1968 through 2014, And every five years, there's a new strategy, literally almost to the clock. Every five years, there's a new strategic approach to how we're going to do law enforcement. What we're talking about here is not a strategy. We're talking about an overhaul in the mindset of who you bring into your police department, how you train them, what it is that you want them to do on a daily basis, what the goal is for that law enforcement organization. And if the goal is we are going to arrest our way out of every problem, nothing's going to change. We're going to stay right where we are because we know that the poorest communities have the highest crime rates and the poorest communities in urban areas tend to be minorities. So we're going to end up in the exact same position if that's the path that we continue down. Well, what the, we're talking about is a sea change. The, the I mean, uh, the arrest strategy is kind of the default strategy, isn't it? It's, it's unfortunately really, you know, as a police officer, And I experienced this myself in my career. You show up on a scene, you have two options. Try to find a way to mediate the dispute so that you don't have to come back because you've got other calls to go to, or make an arrest so that the problem goes away. And when that's the only tools that you provide to your officers, those are the tools they're going to use. 
I, I was curious about there is a one um, a, a political candidate here in Illinois who's a, a, a former law enforcement official and was tweeting out today, and I want to get your thought. Uh, it's easy to watch a dash body cam video and play armchair quarterback, but unless you're in that moment and realize that even with our training and experience, we're still human with emotions and capable of making mistakes. You'll never truly understand. So a little while ago, I told you about the us versus them mentality that exists in law enforcement. And that's a phrase that I hear all the time repeated by police officers. And there is validity to it Uh, until you like chasing somebody down the street, wearing 40 pounds of equipment, climbing over a fence, the adrenaline, the emotions that go with that until you do it. Uh, and not knowing that when you go over that fence, if you're going to be facing somebody pointing a gun at you or not, uh, you, you won't understand what that experience feels like. That doesn't take away from the obligation of police departments to, one, train officers to be reflective of community standards so that when you do go over that fence, your default response isn't to beat the person that's there. And two, when we make mistakes, we are human. We will make mistakes. It's incumbent upon law enforcement to publicly talk about this was a training issue. Here's how we're rectifying it. Or this officer acted so far outside of the scope of what we consider to be tolerable that we're terminating them and we're charging them. And we have to be upfront with that as a as a law enforcement profession, because that's how you you start to build community trust is with the accountability piece. And that's missing in a lot of organizations today. Part of that is we need to change in some laws in certain states that stop departments from doing that. We were in Baltimore. I wasn't allowed to say if we fired somebody and we fired a lot of police. I was never allowed to talk about it because of what the laws look like. So when I talk about this we need elected officials to really step forward and start leading these conversations. It's because we're going to have to change some laws. We're going to have to change some funding priorities in order to shift the way that communities and police departments work together. Yeah, and in that statement that I read, I'm, and I'm obviously, you know, I'm not and never have been in a law enforcement officer's shoes. And uh, granted, I, I understand that. But it's not a matter of, I don't think, Monday morning quarterbacking here. And yeah, when mistakes are made, uh, people do make mistakes. But when it's somebody in law enforcement that has a firearm, uh, and it seems like the standard for those mistakes needs to be, you know, you, you need to, you need to be much better recognizing what a mistake can be. You know, for a long time, the the general thought around that was giving the benefit of the doubt to the police officer because you don't know when you might be in that situation, and so you don't want to judge somebody's split-second decision-making, and then you're faced with the same situation. That's a mentality that has to change. There are lots of gray areas when it comes to interactions and use of force situations, but at the end of the day, that police officer has to be held responsible for the decision of the type of force that they use, how they respond to a situation, and they have to be held publicly accountable. Both good when we have officers that do the right thing, they should be held accountable publicly, and and the, the community should know. Uh, that they have good officers who are doing uncelebrated things every single day. And when an officer is is in the wrong, 
the departments need to come forward and say this officer was wrong. We, we have to get to that place if we want to have any degree of credibility. Eric, I'd like your thoughts. There's a story on uh, public radio here in Chicago, WBEZ, with uh, Attorney General Kwame Raoul uh, talking about the concept of uh, basically licensing police officers. You know, that's uh, it's an interesting idea. I'm not going to speculate about what that would look like because every state, there are so many different employment laws and union issues and everything that goes into that. I am, however, a huge proponent of increasing the amount of training. Um, there was a, an article that I was reading this morning. The average police officer in the United States receives between uh, 16 and 26 weeks of academy time and then maybe an additional 12 or 14 weeks of field training. There are countries around the world that have a one to two year training academy for their police officers. That That's a, a, a fundamental change in the professional engagement that you get from your department when you invest that much in training on the front end. Um, and, and that's definitely something that should be looked at as well. Well, and certainly with certification, but I mean, in most professions have continuing education as a component. And I mean, I, I think that might be part of this as well. In, in just the uh, brief time we've got left, after you've seen everything that's been going on for these days and, and uh, the continued energy behind these protests, do you think we're truly at an inflection point where there will be change? You know, I hope so. Uh, when I wrote my book two years ago, it was uh, in the title, trying to prevent this exact thing from happening, hoping that police departments would step up and start making the changes that were necessary. I truly, uh, I'm a, the eternal optimist, and I have to hope that this is the moment that we really start to make some fundamental shifts to move forward. Uh, Eric, uh the name of the book, again, is Politics of Crisis, an insider's prescription to prevent public policy disasters. Uh, where can they get the copy of the book? Uh, anywhere they get their ebooks, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, um, uh, Kindle, uh, audiobooks, wherever you, get, wherever you get your books. Spoken like an author. Eric, thank you so much for your time and your knowledge. It was very helpful for our convers conversation this afternoon. Thank you so much for the opportunity.